Welcome to the Kawasaki Kids Huddle Podcast. I'm Sean Logan. And this is Meredith. Hi. How are you? Meredith? I'm fantastic. Good. Good. I want to know how the crowd is, right? Yes, but how they are won't you? be here to respond to my ear. Well, we uh, are on to our second episode of the Kawasaki Kids Huddle. I hope you guys uh, had a chance to go out and listen to the first episode. If not, uh, make sure you check that out and uh, and then also listen to this one. So, uh, well, tell us a little bit. What did we talk about in our last? Well, we talked episode, about uh, we talked a little bit about Kawasaki disease. We talked about Cooper. Cooper's our son that was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease uh, ten years ago. Uh, he was three years old and and caught on day 12. Um, and unfortunately, he was uh, left with a giant coronary aneurysm uh, because of the late diagnosis. So we talked also about the um, the 10 day vital 10 day window and uh, and he had missed that. so um, he did. At the time of his diagnosis, do you remember the doctor her telling us absolutely no physical activities and you were remembering, he would run up to her when we'd go to the hospital and she'd say, no, 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 you can't run. That's exactly right. You can't do that. And so we sat there going, oh gosh, no physical activity. Okay. You know, you being newly diagnosed with this and really not knowing long-term prognosis, what this will look like, you say, okay, doctor, we're listening. And as we sat with that a little bit longer, we said, you know what, and I say this like truth said out loud, that he will either die living in a bubble or he will die living a full life. And we are going to choose living life. And so we had to make that very cognizant decision of saying, there, you will be able to run, child, and you will be able to do things that you love. Um, yeah, and I think our doctor was pretty new at the time. Cooper was one of the only big cases with this big, a giant aneurysm that you know, I think it scared them and, and, uh, it scared us too. I mean, we didn't know. And so, but yeah, you're totally right. We had to, we had to quickly, uh, pick whether we were going to let him, uh, you know, just hang out in the house all day, or if we were going to be able to let him go do a lot of things that uh, a boy and girl should be able to do. Yeah. So it's been so fun to watch him over the last 10 years. This kid, he's tried so many different things. He tried a little bit of soccer. He has done, he did. That was funny. He did flag football, didn't he? Yes, he did. Oh, he was really Because there really was no good. tackle involved, and yeah. so he... Did flag yeah, football. He was, he was the quarterback, football. had a few touchdowns. That was fun to watch. Um, he then has found basketball, and now being a middle schooler, basketball is... He's got a fire for it, and he absolutely loves the game. He's getting done with the season right now to jump up to the next was it what up at 5 15 this morning yeah. for his first game just first middle about school eighth grade game today so he just came off of uh, competitive basketball well he's actually got competitive uh championships this weekend and then uh on to middle school basketball and that does keep him bit very busy yeah, we have not held him back, which has allowed no. him to really feel included in bubble to, you know, be the middle schooler that he can be. It's already a difficult time. And so when you totally. allow them to bubble to identify with who they feel they are, it allows them to experience that much growth, that much more growth. Um, but he as well, gosh, you do a lot of this with him, but his DJing. Um, from these many of these events that we've put together, um, we have had DJs there and we had Gosh, was it about five years ago, four or five years ago now that we had a DJ at one of the events and he really, Cooper really took to this particular DJ and this DJ allowed him to be able to come and try some of the things that he was 
playing. Yeah, and it was an outdoor cornhole yeah. tournament. And I remember going up to pay the DJ at the end of the event. And he says, I'll take your money because I came out here and I brought all the equipment and, and that. But just so you know, your son sat here and played all the music for the last three hours. He's an absolute natural. Here's what you get him. And uh, let him just uh, breathe and eat this stuff. And he, man, he has. Yeah. He really has. And gosh, he's now had really formal events that he's done. He's done proms, weddings up at the mountains, town events for towns across. Major League Baseball, All-Star Fan Fest in Denver. And now officially being the DJ for the Colorado Eagles. So he is, that's a local hockey team here in Northern Colorado. And so he has absolutely, he's living his best life. He is, yeah. He uh, he finds a lot of passion in it. And I think that with any child, as they start to get older and get into the teenage years and, and maybe have setbacks or trials in their life that they are living with or have to take medication every day, having an outlet or some kind of passion, uh, whether it be in sporting or arts or, or DJing or whatever that is, um, that is an amazing thing for them to be able to um, to use that outlet to get through, um, you know, those trials. Yeah. Um, we had mentioned that Cooper's cardiologist had very much limited what he, what she wanted him to do when he was a little guy, yeah. but she has really watched and monitored his activity closely over the years. And she knows what he's done. And what's been really on awesome about that is that it's not just allowed Cooper to be able to live a full life, but it's actually changed how she has guided other patients with similar diagnosis to still be active and to do things that bring them joy and, you know, that they can, they can run. Yeah, <laughs> they can right. run and give her a hug and it is absolutely okay. Jump so. on the trampoline and go out and play basketball, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that goes back to the, the point of, that maybe they thought that with Cooper or any of these kids with these big aneurysms that it was going to make it worse. And it didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, that yes, that did lead to other kids maybe being able to get a little bit better, um, you know, a, a better look at being able to do these sports that they love and these these different uh, outdoor activities that they love. So, yeah. We share a little bit of that, not just to you know, give the, give what Cooper has experienced, but to give a little bit of hope for those who might be experiencing going through KD right now, or to not know for long-term for themselves that there is absolutely hope and that you can feel confident, good about there. There may be additional scary times that might come, but you can, your child can live a life that brings both you and them happiness. You do not have to live in fear. So I hope that that can yeah. give a little piece of hope to those who might be experiencing or having some of those uncertain thoughts right now. Very well said. Yes. Um, since our last episode, we I've actually had a few um, mamas and you have two, Sean, that have reached out with where their kids have been diagnosed. And we go back and say, gosh, we got to keep talking about and bringing up awareness of the symptoms of KD um, so that it really becomes household name and that when kids are experiencing it, they can say to their friend, hey, I think they might have this, mention this to the doctor. It is the number one acquired heart disease. And those symptoms which Cooper manifested were, gosh, he had the fever, of course, yeah. the fever, and the red cracked lips and um, bloodshot the, eyes. Bloodshot eyes, yeah. yeah. But there's also typically a rash that is involved, um, particularly, in, particularly in the groin area. Um, swollen hands and feet, the swollen lymph nodes in the neck. So you do not have to have all of those symptoms 
No, you do not. And you I just not even a, have to have two or three yeah. kind of thing. You can have just the fever and it can still be. Yeah. I had a mom just uh, last month who reached out to us. The uh, child had been sent home numerous times from the hospital and, and, uh, these doctors were not wanting to, you know, they had nurses that said, hey, this could be Kawasaki disease. And they kept um, saying, no, no, it can't be that because we have to have all the symptoms. And that's such a myth. You know, you do not have to have all these symptoms yeah. to have Kawasaki disease. And that's so it's, it's one of the uh, triggers because that's, uh, that's the terrible part of it because the days just keep ticking by. And we'll talk about why the days mean so much. But, uh, but you do not have to have all the symptoms to have KD. No, you do not. And it does happen to its majority of boys, but it yeah. just because there is a female does not mean that they cannot have Kawasaki disease. So you can be more aware of knowing that, but don't eliminate your child. If you have a little baby girl who's experiencing symptoms that they are not um, able to get Kawasaki disease, it is to all children, but it does concentrate um, on the males. And anywhere from six to five years. And when we say that, we have also seen patients who have been nine and 12 and they have been older. It is, again, fewer than it might be within that six to five years old, six months to five years. Um, yeah, I think the infants are the hardest because they, they don't have the chance to tell you what they're feeling and they don't have to, you know, you have to be really cognizant of seeing the symptoms and knowing that there's something wrong uh, where maybe a three or four or even a five-year-old uh, could tell you the different symptoms they're having and what they feel like and and how that so it's a little easier maybe in those older kids than than these uh, precious little uh, six-month and, and one-year-old yeah and in those little babies inflammation in the body is a key indicator that it's katie at play and what we experience with cooper is that touching and carrying and hold just moving was difficult and so knowing that that's what can represent itself in your child is that inflammation the body hurting yeah um and it can also it can really uh show its its head in the irritation or the just the the uh the irritation in the child of being held so just like you were saying but just being held and that irritation you know crying and and just not wanting to be touched uh that inflammation shows uh, in those pieces. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, what's even more difficult is that there's not a test that you just run and you say, oh, this is, this is what you've oh, got. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. Yeah. But there, we are not there. We're we getting close. I mean, there's, there, there's things that are coming, but we don't have anything yet. With that, they very much look at the symptoms. Again, those symptoms that we had mentioned, a doctor will look at those. They can also run a blood test that gives them um, to determine the amount of inflammation in the body. But what ultimately helps them to identify Kawasaki disease is doing an echocardiogram or an echo where they examine the child's heart, their muscles, and they're able to see the dilation happening in those blood vessels. And that's when they're able to officially determine that Kawasaki disease is at play. Yeah, that inflammation shows up in those uh, in that ultrasound. And we have amazing sonograms across the country, especially in these children's hospitals. That's really where, you know, you see a lot of... Uh, of kids saved. So if you don't have one of those big hospitals and you're not getting that uh, echocardiogram or they're not willing to do it, uh, you may want to look at uh, possibly hitting up a children's hospital to, to get that uh, echo done and, and have somebody who is very trained on seeing the inflammation um, in the heart. Especially when you do have a little itty bitty baby. I'm one of those mamas that had reached out, has a very infant child that it was difficult to do 
the echocardiogram because of how small and how much they wanted to move around. And so being at a children's hospital is almost imperative in that so that if you are not getting the attention that you need, um, go to a children's hospital because they do have the resources um, and well, just the and they ability see probably, to, you know, they, three to 500% yes. more cases. So it is very easy for them to really, uh, to pick apart see the children symptoms. all day long. Yeah. Yes. And, and so you're, you have a greater, uh, greater, um, way of getting, uh, diagnosed earlier for sure. And then when you are diagnosed, it's IVIG. Oh, that's intravenous a, that's like immune, immune globulin. Yeah. I hope I said that right, but it's a dose that they give to a child and that is typically enough and almost immediately to start seeing the difference in the inflammation in their body that they, the child feels it. Yeah. 24 to 48 hours. They say that child has uh, drastically turned the corner from, you know, barely moving or being very fussy and, and inflammation to uh, really feeling a ton better in that hospital room. Is IVIG one time, is, will that do it every time? No. Not always. No. And there's it, more and more cases uh, are showing up to where uh, the child has to have two doses. So um, after that 48 hours, your doctor will be able to say, uh, nope, we need, another, we need another dose of IVIG. Or yes, this uh, was able to take down the fever and, and, uh, and start the uh, inflammation decrease. Yes. Yeah. Well... That's what we've got as far as... So tell them really quick about what we did back in the day, uh, how you get IVIG. Do you remember? I mean, it's been a while, but we did plasma. So IVIG is uh, comes from a 1,000 blood donors. Um, they pull out the plasma from those blood donors or roughly about 150 plasma donations. And so both Meredith and I uh, wanted to give back what was that? Probably about five years ago we started. Yeah. Um, five years ago, we decided each one of us were going to do 150 uh, plasma donations to give back um, that IVIG dose that we we had to have for Cooper. And uh, so we both did our thing. I think it took me about two years, I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a little less than two years to get yeah, yeah, through with the 150 uh, donations. But it was very rewarding. And so uh, that's where IVIG comes from. It's the plasma that comes from either uh, blood donations or plasma donations. And then they make this absolute miracle drug. It is pretty incredible. Yeah. And it was fun to, you know... Everyone gives plasma for different reasons, but to do it with a purpose rather than just for a paycheck, which many people do, and it is, it does offer that to those who donate. And um, being able to say that you have a child who's been a plasma recipient and this is why you're doing it, just yeah. really, it as well as those who work there, it makes it worth it to them. They, they have a firsthand person who are they you're speaking to that has been the recipient or directly related to I found um, someone who's benefited great awareness for what we were doing because every time we would sit down we were shouting from the mountaintops about why we were there and what we were doing and so we were able to talk a lot about kawasaki disease and and uh, and and uh, get people to be aware of the uh, and educate of the disease so that was fun yeah yeah awesome so uh Thank you. Thank you for coming and thank you for being a part of this uh, amazing podcast as we start this journey and, and go through, uh, you know, this year of, of building a podcast to be able to uh, share stories and grow awareness and bring together community. Um, 
I think that's the biggest thing. You know, after being around 10 years and doing so many different things, uh, events and, and having amazing supporters and sponsors and partners and meeting all these different kids, uh, being able to do this podcast to bring awareness in a different avenue, I think has been uh, a lot of fun. It sure has. I look forward to what we talk about in our next episode. Oh, yeah, that's going to be really Because cool. it's, we will talk about starting the foundation as we have developed it and all the efforts that we put in to create community, the awareness, and share the stories. And it's been pretty incredible as we've already kind of started to prep and talk about that to see where we were to where we are now. <laughs> been some funny stories we've come up with already. It sure has. Yeah. And so we can't wait to be able to share that with you. And so we absolutely look forward to Speaking with you next time. Stay tuned. So what you need to do for us, if you can, is uh, share this podcast out with all of your friends. Have them listen to you so we can move up the charts in the old uh, Apple and and, uh, uh, charts. And uh, also go check out our website, KawasakiKids.org. You'll find more information about Kawasaki disease. Maybe you want to share your child's story. You can do that there. Maybe you want to come and volunteer at an upcoming event. Colorado will be in Austin, Texas on May 8th. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved if you would like to. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Meredith, for joining me. And uh, we will see you uh, next time on the Kawasaki Kids Huddle Podcast. Thank you. Bye.